0: This morning, I want to start by asking you to, um, to just stop for a moment and imagine something. I want you to um, imagine that instead of being here in church, that you're somewhere very different. I want you to imagine that it's late at night, that you're at home, the house is peaceful, and you're all cozy, tucked up in bed, fast asleep. Don't go too far, okay? It's uh, just imagining it, okay? Um, But suddenly, as you're there tucked up, you're fast asleep, you're you're, you're woken with a sudden jolt as the phone rings. And and you you wake up and your heart is pounding. You think, the only reason someone would ring me at this kind of time at night is if something very bad has happened. So you answer the phone and on the other end is a family friend and you recognize the voice straight away. But they don't apologize to you for waking you up late at night. They don't know do any of the normal kind of pleasantries that you'd expect when they answer the phone. They're frantic on the phone. And all they, is that they can tell you, all it is that they're babbling out is that your adult son has gathered some kind of gang members around him and he is on his way and the word on the street is that he's out to kill you. You've got to get out of the house and you've got to get out right now. The sad thing is that when you get off the phone to, to the family friend and, and you stop and you think, you're not really surprised about what it is that you've just heard. You're not surprised about what it is that's happening. You, you've been estranged from your, your son for uh, and you haven't spoken to him for several years. And it, it all began when his sister, your daughter, she was, she was raped. She was raped by a, a, one of your other sons who was his half-brother. And her half-sister. And, and, and your son, who's on his way now, he was so angry about it that he killed his half-brother, claiming that it was justice. And while the whole situation was horrific, you, you, you felt like you were left with no choice but to send him away and to kick him out of the house. You know, you could understand why he was so angry. And why he was, you know, he was so hot-headed about things, and he's always been prone to violence, but, but he had to know that just because he's angry with someone, it didn't give him a right to kill them. And there was no way that you could trust him in the family home anymore. So, having known that he'd, he'd become so angry and, and acted out of vengeance once before and killed someone, you could easily believe that he was on his way to do the same to you now. So you jump out of bed. You grab your car keys. And you get out of there as fast as you can. There's no time to pack. There's no time to to bring together all your belongings and make sure you've got everything you need. You just leave as fast as you can with nothing but the clothes on your back. You know you can't go to any other family members because he'll track you down. He knows them. And that just puts them in danger too. So as you drive off in the car, your mind is racing. Where can I go? What do I do? In the end, you just keep driving and driving and driving until in the middle of nowhere. You're so tired that you finally think, I've got to pull over. So you pull over to the side of the road, you hide the car behind some trees, and you try and get some rest. In that moment of quiet as you close your eyes, the reality of what's happening starts to hit you. And you realize what a mess your life is in. You've had a daughter raped by a half-brother. You've had that son murdered, by his half brother. And now the same son's out to kill you. And you stop and you cry out to God, where did it all go wrong? Why, why is this happening? Why does my family have to go through so much? You know, it might sound like an unbelievable situation. It might sound like the kind of family mess that you're only ever going to come across on the Jeremy Carl show. But it's the events that happen to a real person. In fact, they're the events that happened to King David that we read about in the Bible. And it's these events that form the background of the psalm that we're going to look at today as David hides in the wilderness under threat of his life from his own son. You know, David, the king of Israel, David, the one who's about, you know, is, is well into his 40 year reign at this point. And his son Absalom, who had been banished for the murder of his half brother manages to gather people of influence around him and he gathers an army to him and he sets out to kill his father and take over the kingdom. And David is is left with no choice but to run away and he hides out in the desert and it must be one of the most difficult situations that he ever faces in his life. You know, many of you will have sadly experienced broken relationships with other family members and you will know the pain of that and how hard it must be. But how hard must it be as a father to know that not just as your son decided he doesn't want to talk to you, but your son, who you love, hates you so much that he wants to kill you. And while you're facing the pain and the difficulty of all of that, at the same time you lose your home. You lose your finances. You lose your access to to basic things like food and water. And you're left hiding in a desert with nothing. Now, hopefully none of you have ever had to or ever will have to experience the kind of devastation that that David did at this point in his life. But at the same time, I know that all of you at some point or another will have faced times of devastation. Times when it seemed like life was falling apart and you didn't understand what was going on. Times when you have feared for the future and not known how you were going to get through. And sometimes these are difficulties that we face and they're, and they're momentary. It's just about an, an event and once that event's been and gone and that we've been so fearful of, it's, it kind of sells itself out. But, but often these kind of things and these difficulties lead to us feeling trapped and alone and they last for a season. And that season just seems to drag on and on. You know, and if you're, you're blessed enough this morning to be able to not relate to any of that, and not have ever had to go through one of these moments or these seasons in your life, then unfortunately, I'm the bearer of bad news this morning, and say it will happen. Pretty much guarantee that at some point in your life you will. So the important question for all of us then to to ask and to know is: How do we respond when we face these kinds of difficult times? How do we respond when life is hard and we feel trapped? And this morning we're going to continue our series. We've been doing a series, as you'll know, somewhere in the Psalms, Encounters with God. And we're going to see what it is that we can learn from David and how he acted in the midst of this difficult time. And the the psalm we're going to look at is Psalm 63. Um, It should pop up on the screen behind me so you can follow along. Um, Feel free to look it up as well if you you prefer. Um, But this is what David writes. He says, you, God, are my God earnestly I seek you I thirst for you my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life my lips will glorify you I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. You know, if if you and I were in the kind of situation that, that David was facing at this point in his life, you know, if we had had to flee our homes and our lives were under threat, I doubt that we would probably take time out to sit down and write a song. And if we did... The song would probably contain a lot of urgent requests, and I reckon the chorus would be something like, Help me, God! Get me out of here! But instead, the song that David writes doesn't ask God for anything, if you read through that. Doesn't ask God for a single thing. He doesn't even really focus on his circumstances, and what he's going through, and the problems that he's facing. He doesn't try and find someone to blame. He doesn't look back and dwell on the mistakes that he's made as a father that have led him to this place. He doesn't look around for other people to blame for the problems that he's in. He doesn't look at the desert and at the wilderness and the difficulties and think, woe is me. David doesn't say any of those kind of things that we, we might expect him to. And instead in a time when he has every reason to be discouraged and to moan and to complain... He fixes his eyes on God. And as he does, an amazing thing happens as he starts to get excited about God. And then he begins to receive strength and encouragement from God. You know, the the first statement that David makes is, you, God, are my God. You know, and I think that simple statement speaks volumes about David's relationship with God. How many uh, people in your life can you call my? There's probably not that many really, are there? If you didn't know me at all, if you'd never met me and you knew nothing about me, but you overheard me having a conversation with someone and I started talking about my Rosie or my Evan or my Simon or my Annabelle, then you would probably very quickly assume that the people that I'm talking about are part of my family. That they're likely to be my wife or my children, people very close to me. And you'd be right. You know, we don't use the word my when we're talking about someone unless our relationship with them is incredibly close. Unless we somehow have this tremendous confidence in our relationship that we are tied together, that we belong to one another. So the image that I get here of David is something like what happens uh, that that I see again and again when Evan and Simon are running around in the garden. They fall over, they scrape their knees. The first thing that they do is shout, my mummy, my daddy. My daddy. Because even though there might be practical things that will fix what it is that they're going through, when they're scared or when they're hurt, even though there might be practical things that would make them feel better, what they want in that moment is just to be in the arms of their parents. They know that having their parents there will solve everything, that then they are safe and secure. You know, there's a relationship that exists there which they trust above anything else. You know, and that kind of personal relationship with God is the foundation for everything else which comes in this psalm. And it has to be the starting point from which everything else grows. You know, it's not the same thing as simply knowing about God. You know, I could tell you all about my dad. Um... You know, I I could tell you how he used to be in the Air Force and and how now he satisfies his love for planes not by flying them in reality but by sitting on his computer with a simulator. I could tell you how he he enjoys walking and he he loves steam trains. I could answer every single question that you, you would like to ask about my dad. But at the end of it all, you still wouldn't be able to turn around and say, now he's my dad too. You know, the kind of relationship with with God that David is talking about and that God desires to have with you and with me, the kind of relationship goes beyond knowledge. It goes beyond just information. It's a relationship that means that we are adopted into God's family, that we become God's children, and that we can say, you God are my God. You know, and I know many of you here this morning, you, you can say that. And you have that kind of relationship, and that is fantastic, and it is a joy. And I know many of you can share stories about those times when you have cried out like little children, my God, and he's been there for you, and you've experienced that in hard times as well as in good times. But this morning, if there's somebody here and you know in your heart that actually you don't have that kind of relationship with God, I want you to know that it's available. That God is reaching out to you this morning. And he wants you to know that he has done everything to make it possible for you to become his child. Not just to know about him, but to really know him personally. Whatever mistakes you have made in the past, forgiveness is available. Whatever questions, doubts, or fears you have, it's okay. He's big enough to deal with them. You know, and as you admit your need to God, as you um, admit your longing for him and you invite Jesus into your life, God's promise is that you will become his child and you will enter into this kind of secure relationship wrapped in the arms of your loving heavenly father. You know, if that's something that you've never done and would like to find out more about then I would love to chat with you more afterwards at the end. And, you know, I, please, I don't want anyone to be able to leave this morning without being able to say, now he's my God too. Now he's my God too. And if we come back though to David and how he responds to the hard times and the circumstances that he's facing, I think one of the amazing things that we find is that when you have this kind of relationship with God, it means that just as when a child is scared or hurt, and their first thought is for their mummy or for their daddy. So when we face hard times and difficulties, when we feel trapped and when we feel alone, when we're scared about the future, when we, uh, you know, anything is going on, where we're struggling with, our thoughts first turn to God. We know that our Heavenly Father who, who loves us and has promised to always be with us and provide for our every need will be there. He's our deliverer that we've been talking about, our provider that we've been talking about. When everything is falling apart around us, what we long for more than anything else is not first and foremost a fix for the problem so that we can go back to our happy lives that we had before, but that we would encounter God in a new way and know that in his presence we will experience peace and security in a way that fixing the problems will never give us. And the reason that it will never give us that is because when things are fixed and when circumstances change, it doesn't change the fact that we've been through those hard times and we're scarred by it. The scars still remain. And so all that happens is that we then go on living through life scared that it will happen again. Scared of the next time life will fall apart because actually there is no security. The problem might have been fixed, but it can all fall apart just as easily again. But when we encounter God, And when we experience his presence with us, we know a security that isn't reliant on our circumstances. And we experience again what it's like to be a child in the arms of their parents, just trusting them and fearing nothing, knowing that whatever happens, whatever changes in the world around, whatever circumstances happen, my God is with me. and I'm safe. He'll look after me. And David understood that. And that's why in his hour of need, he didn't cry out to God asking God to fix things. He cried out to God saying, you're oh my God. I long for you. My soul thirsts for you. I need you. Let me know what it is to be that child in your arms again. So that in the midst of the storm, I can still know peace. Peace. Last Sunday, um, Emma Abbott had a chat with me, and she shared um, that she felt God had given her a vision. And when she emailed it through to me, I was really struck by it, and it resonated with me, and it just really confirmed what I felt God had put on my heart to to share and to talk about this morning. And so I asked her if it would be okay to to share this vision with you, and she said it is, which is fantastic, so thank you, Emma. And this is how Emma described the vision and, and what she felt God was saying through it in her email. She wrote this. As I closed my eyes and asked God to speak to me, He gave me a vision of a great ocean. The sea was churning and the waves were taller than mountains. The sky was dark and a storm was coming. On the ocean I saw many boats and ships. Some boats were small rowing boats, others were huge sailing ships. On the boats were people. They were being thrown around on the boats and many were falling overboard. Others were desperately hanging onto the boats or ships for safety. On the waves I also saw a person who was sat inside a solid clear sphere. The sphere did not go under the waves and and always sat on top of the water. This was the only place where there was a sense of calm and peace. I asked God to explain to me what I was seeing. I clearly felt him say this was not a message for the world. The people on the boats represented Christians and the churches of Christ. They were people who knew him or had heard his name, but in the tribulations and the trials that are soon to come and rock the church and the whole world, they will find it hard or even impossible to hold on to the truth because they had not surrounded themselves with it. The sphere represented the spirit and word of God. The person inside had completely surrounded themselves in the word of God and in the Holy Spirit. They truly knew the Lord and were not surprised by the waves or the storms to come. They trusted completely in the word of God. Importantly, though, although they were surrounded and encompassed in God's protection, because the sphere was clear, they could still be seen. They were not therefore hiding themselves from others. I believe this is a warning for all Christians and churches to focus on our personal relationships with Jesus and making sure that he is our true roots and foundation. Times are coming when we will need to stand stronger on our faith than ever before and God will be putting his people now through times of faith testing endurance so they are ready to stand strong when the time comes. I also felt him say that we need to keep the word of God pure and clean, like the sphere. It cannot be added to by society and worldly views. His word is enough, and truly knowing and trusting in him is paramount. Powerful stuff. You know, David had the kind of relationship with God that meant that when the storms came in his life, he was like the man in the solid, clear sphere. The difficulties drove him to focus on his relationship with God. To focus on God's truth and on God's promises and simply on who God is. And David in this psalm, he doesn't focus then on his problems and the storm-like circumstances that are raging around him. He focuses on God's glory and his power and on his past faithfulness and provision. And that truth that he fixes his eyes on begins to transform his perspective, change the way that he thinks, change the way that he sees the things that he's going through, and suddenly the problems that he's facing start to shrink. And he knows and he experiences God's peace in the midst of the middle of a storm. You know, we see that in in verses 2 to 8. He reminds himself of God's truth, and he uses that as a leaping off point to praise God and to thank God. And suddenly in the midst of everything that is happening, trapped in a desert with nothing, you get this sense of joy welling up within him. Isn't this incredible? You know, he can make the statement that knowing God's love is better than life. He can make the statement that while he might be hungry in the desert and have nothing, that knowing God with him is more satisfying than the best food in the palace. You know, it's so important that in every season of life we keep our focus on God's truth. We surround ourselves with his word. That we make time to read the Bible, whether things are hard or things are easy. That we remind ourselves regularly of who God is and our past encounters and experiences with him. Of how he's been with us and provided for us and cared for us and delivered us that we remind ourselves of the greatest demonstration of his love and the greatest demonstration of his provision through Jesus Christ on the cross as he gave his life up, that we could have a relationship with him. But it's important that we don't allow that truth and those things to simply become a knowledge and an information within us. But that actually, like David does, we ground that truth within our hearts and allow it to shape our whole perspective And our whole outlook. And one of the ways that I think is key for David and the way that he does this is by allowing that truth to move him to praise. You know, there's an incredible power in praising God. An incredible power in declaring and speaking out his truth. You know, sometimes when things are hard, it's a real battle to praise God. Not always easy, is it? We can have all sorts of questions and doubts and fears, and and if we allow it, Satan can begin to take hold of them. And we, we have this battle within our mind which is going on that can begin to suck us down into a spiral. And we can feel trapped. The problems grow bigger and bigger and bigger until it's all that we can see. We feel alone and we feel helpless. But the amazing thing is that that when we declare God's truth, when we declare God's praise, when we speak it out loud with our lips, as David has been talking about, then those doubts and those questions, those problems that seem to loom so large in front of us rapidly start to shrink. And in their place, a confidence and a security in God begins to grow. Faith begins to rise up. You know, David knew this in Psalm 8 verse 2, he writes, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And it's a fantastic verse. It's been one that I've held with me for, for years now. You know, when we declare God's praise, it silences the lies of Satan. And it establishes a stronghold of God's truth to protect us. You know, our whole perspective is transformed as the truth of who God is and that he is with us and that he loves us and that he is more than able to deal with whatever it is that we are facing takes root within our hearts and becomes a foundation. It enables us to experience and to know peace and joy in the midst of the storm like David did. You know, like David, we can sing because we know that we are beneath the shadow of his wings, that he reaches over us to protect us. You know, like the person in Emma's vision, we can know peace in this storm because we rest safe and secure. Our praises having established a stronghold of God's truth around us. So I want to encourage you. You know, uh, God seems to be speaking today to, that there are those of us here this morning who have been going through struggles and difficulties and that he wants to be our provider and our deliverer. And I want to encourage you today that whatever it is that those struggles are, whatever it is you are struggling with, whether it's doubts or fears or worries, whether it's uh, feelings of loneliness, whether it's anger towards other people or towards your own circumstances and you're just shouting blame out, whatever it is, that when you feel it's rising up within, when you feel those thoughts coming in to make it a discipline, to choose to fix your eyes on God and to praise him. To speak out loud. Actually sing out loud words of praise. Doesn't matter if you can your singing is out of tune. No, one of the great things is that God made you and He created your voice, and so if He made you to sing out of tune, then He is more than happy with that. So you don't need to worry about it. We need to know that there is power in speaking out the praises of God. That it silences the doubts and the fears and the lies of the enemy. It silences the attack that can come in on our thoughts. You know, and I think there's something powerful. You know, when we're having a battle in the mind and we just try and do battle in the mind, it, it doesn't work. And we just keep it all in here and we just think it. But there's something powerful when we start to speak it out. Or like David, we write it down in a song or in a letter or in a poem or in a prayer. And it makes it more concrete and we can see then there's this truth which is, has been spoken out or has been written down which is unchanging. And it takes over and, and deals away with the thoughts and we win the battle. There is power in speaking something out with our lips or writing something down and declaring it in that kind of a way. You now the problems we're facing stop seeming like enormous mountains and they shrink down to molehills that our great God is able to just stamp on. And It's great. You know, that's what we see with David. You know, he finishes the psalm not in a place of fear because of everything that's happened, but a great place of confidence. You know, he speaks with a certainty. This is what the future holds. I know what's coming. might be hard now, but I know what's coming because my God is great. And he is with me. I have confidence in him. You know, when Emma shared the the vision that God gave her, one of the things that she wrote is that times are coming when we will need to stand stronger on our faith than ever before. And God will be putting his people now through times of faith-testing endurance so they are ready to stand strong when the time comes. Now, I think it's probably fair to say none of us like the sound much of faith-testing endurance. I I certainly don't. Those kinds of times aren't easy, are they? And it might be that you feel like you're in one of those kinds of times now and I would guess if that's the case that you're probably not enjoying it very much. But despite that, I think it's amazing how often it is in the hard times and in the testing times that we grow the most, isn't it? Now, when we look through the Bible, we see so many different characters who uh, who were used by God in powerful ways, who had incredibly intimate relationships with God, and yet at some point or another in their lives, you can see a clear point of testing. You can see a clear point of difficulty and challenge when things were hard and everything seemed to be falling apart for them. You know, it's not just with with David, but you see it with Moses, you see it with Elijah, you see it with John the Baptist. You know, you even see it with with Jesus as he's led into the wilderness for a time of testing, don't you? But through those times of testing, what you see is them walk out the other side with a deeper, more intimate relationship with God, with a confidence and a maturity in who he is that is no longer reliant just on things going well in life and saying, well, everything's good, so God's good. But it's so much deeper than that. So much stronger than that. It's in those times of difficulty, in those times of testing, that it's it's painful as what is stripped away from us is everything else that we rely on. Whether that be the people that we rely on, whether that be the finances that we rely on, whatever it is, those things that we rely on are slowly stripped and peeled away by God until we come to that place where we're able just to rely on Him. As we realize how vulnerable we really are, and how great God really is. You know those hard times are never easy. I'm not going to pretend that I ever look forward to them. But I want to encourage you. That even though it's hard. God is with you. you might not feel like it sometimes. But God is with you. I want to encourage you. That even though it's hard. And it's painful. That as you turn to God in the midst of it. He will be at work. I can guarantee you that. He will make the most of the bad situation. He never lets an opportunity pass to work for your good and for his glory. You know, in those hard times, follow David's example. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Remind yourself of his goodness. Remind yourself of of the things which he's done in your life that can stir you to praise him. Remind yourself of the truth that you know in his word that will stir you to praise him. And as you do that, you will experience God with you in the midst of, the difficulties in the midst of the pain in the midst of what you're facing you know and if you're not in a hard time right now the best thing that you can do is start to get into the habit and practice praising him right here and now so that when those hard times come it's the most natural thing in the world don't wait till you get there make time to really get to know your bible know God's truth and practice using it as a jumping off point to praise Praise him for who he is. Praise him for all that is promised. Knowing that as you do that, you establish a stronghold around yourself of God's truth. Meaning that you can know his peace and his joy even in the midst of the greatest storm.